you this morning. This is a great crowd. And boy, we've already had two great services this morning, looking for God to do something great in this service here also. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I know the children have already uh, quoted it, but I want us to read it again. We got plenty of time. We don't have anything to do until 6 o'clock tonight. So everything's looking good. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Wow, what a song. I tell you what, it just, just isn't it good sometimes to just not have anything, just kind of flow with the guitar and music? Beautiful, beautiful. Let me open my Bible here. All right, beginning in verse 1. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. <laughs> and this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, uh, and, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Father, thank you for just the opportunity we have to declare once again how sweet and precious the name of Jesus is. I pray today, maybe there are folk in this place that have never trusted you. God, may your Holy Spirit convict them of their need to be saved before it's too late. Have your way in every life. I pray people could not see me, but they would see you high and lifted up. We exalt you today and praise you today in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. God guides ordinary people. Normally, this passage is preached at Christmas, but I have preached it in times that wasn't Christmas. And people look at you kind of funny because it's a Christmas uh, uh, scripture that uses, but it speaks to ordinary people about some ordinary problems that we have. And there are four points uh, here that just stick out to us. We're all concerned about direction in life. Every one of us, you know, when you get older, you start worrying a little bit more about retirement when you're young you're worried about family and you're worried about a house you're worried about mortgages and all that stuff and you know we're, we're all interested in the direction in life maybe you're here today and you feel like you lost your direction well I want to tell you the good news is that you can get it back uh, God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on and on uh, before just this last week Brother Steve Snyder and I were working out in the back here. He was on a bulldozer and I was on the tractor. And I, was, I wanted to clear out a place where we could just know where the land was, where our property was. And I was just, man, it was a slow, tedious job with that tractor. And I finally called Steve on the phone and said, you know, if, if you'd come over here 15 minutes from what you're doing, you could have all of this done and we'd be out of here. He said, okay, I'm on my way. So he came over. We got uh, going. He was clearing around. We were trying to go down Mason Creek there and, 
and uh, our property goes on the other side of it, but we were just going down this side of it. And I called him. I said, see, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't think this is Mason Creek. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a big, yeah, it's big creek. And I said, I don't I, something ain't right. Oh, yeah, I see the clearing up there. This is going to be Clay Perkins' house over here. I see the clearing up there. We got up there, and we were about 30 foot from where we went in. Uh, we, all we did was make a circle and come back around at the same place there. And I said, well, I'm thankful I'm not the only one that gets lost in the woods. I, I remember back in high school, our coaches, they're, they're different than today. Uh, our coach, we, we had a farm road, Corrigan Camden Consolidated, and so there was a farm road between Corrigan and Camden. Our PE class, coach would load us on a bus, take us out so many miles out of town, say, all right, now be back for your next class, that's your PE. And one day uh, we got together and thought, you know what, uh, there, we could go through these woods right here and we'd save an hour right here. And about 5.30 that afternoon, about dark, <laughs> we finally come out the other end down there. It's really easy to get lost. And I wanna tell you, it's easy to get lost in your spiritual life too, because this world has a draw. Man, the things of this world. There are so many things in this world that there's nothing wrong with, except they pile on us so much that we forget the things of God. And that's when it becomes wrong. So we come to this scripture. These are two ordinary people. You say, how can Mary and Joseph be ordinary? Well, the only thing unordinary about them is that Gabriel came to Joseph and said, fear not, you know, uh, and then Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, fear not, you've been chosen to, to birth the, the Christ. Now that makes them a little extraordinary. But from that point on, there's nothing unordinary about these people. They're just like me and you. I mean, can, th there's never another angel that comes to them. There's no directions. There's no star that they follow like the wise men. They don't have any idea. I mean, I can imagine they're getting up in the morning, one morning, saying, look, uh, uh, it's almost time. If we're going to go to Bethlehem, we got to get, we, we pretty well got to leave today. And Mary would say, well, Joseph, did the angel speak to you last night? Did you have a dream? No. Outside acid reflux, I slept all night long. <laughs> How about you, Mary? Did the angel come to you? Did you have a dream? No. No. Have you ever, have you ever been trying to go in a direction and you're not sure which direction to go. They finally decide, all right, we're going to Bethlehem. I think there's only one stick in the mud in that whole decision. And that's probably Mary's mother. I think her mama probably put her foot down and said, you're not going nowhere. <laughs> I mean, you're nine months pregnant, girl. You ain't going to ride no donkey all the way up there to Bethlehem. It ain't going to happen. Well, it did. So she rides the donkey up there, and, and probably their baggage and all of that's on a camel behind them there. But it's interesting to know how God controls things and God works with his people. You see, God came and told Mary, hey, Mary, you've been chosen. You're special. You're going to birth the Christ. And I imagine somewhere along there, I don't know, but you don't know that it's not. But I imagine somewhere along there, it probably hit Mary and she said, Lord, thank you for sending Gabriel to tell me what's going on. 
But if it's all the same to you, would you send him down to downtown Nazareth? And all them women down there wagging their tongues about how ungodly I am. Would you, would you, would you let Gabriel show up to them? But he never did. He never did. So they're on their own, each one. You take these segments and look at them like through a microscope, and you're thinking, this don't fit together. But when you see the big picture through a telescope, suddenly it all comes together. So the first thing here is that you, we need to remember is God is in control, even when it doesn't seem that way. You ever been there? You, 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 you keep telling you God's in control, but it sure don't seem like it. These first verses here, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. What in the world put it in Caesar Augustus's head to issue a decree? God. God. See, he's in control whether it looks like it or not. He comes through. Why did he have to do that? Well, six centuries before, the prophet Micah said that the Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem. So all God's doing is setting up his plan. He's using old Caesar like a pawn, and he don't have sense enough to know what's going on. But God's in control even when it didn't seem like he was in control. He's in control. The point of the New Testament as we go through this whole thing uh, is how early Christians reacted to and interacted with Caesars. We're, we're told to be of this world, but... I mean, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. It's not our home, and it gets real cloudy when we're trying to put all of this together here. And Caesar is a grandnephew of Julius Caesar, the successor there. He came to power about 30 B.C. He was 33 years old, lived to be 77, so he was 44 years as, as uh, the Caesar. He was a builder. He was a builder of roads. He was a builder of, of organizations, a builder of civilization. And yet at this time in his life, God says, Caesar, forget about the roads, forget about the buildings, forget about the infrastructure, issue a decree. Issue a decree. So he does it. You know, I think the early Christians probably knew that God could send something special to pick up uh, Mary and take her to Bethlehem. I mean, he could send a helicopter. You say, now, wait a minute, they didn't have a helicopter. Are you sure? You wasn't there. They may they they listen. They're not as dumb as some of us are. I mean, uh, at the very least, they could have sent a camel caravan and let her ride down there. She did. They didn't do any of that. They're on their own. They're on their own. They're only. They didn't have no manna fall out of heaven. There wasn't no Dollar General to buy any raincoats when it started raining. I mean, they're on their own. They're out here in nature, traveling, nine months pregnant. Hmm. God's purpose in this quiet activity was to bring internal rain, not external rain. And just in a slight rippling of the water, the birth of Christ is something that literally changed all mankind. Wow. <laughs> for Mary and Joseph and for their own lives, God's in control. And let me just tell you with this this morning, God's in control of your life too. 
He's in control. The second thing, though, that just jumps out here is not only God leading us as ordinary people, uh, he's in control, but when he leads us, it's often indirectly. It often comes from another direction or something that we're not. It flows out of the first one, the truth here does, but he leads us sometimes indirectly. The census was a means of indirect leadership. That timing, that mechanism there that motivated Joseph and Mary to get out of Nazareth, go to uh, Bethlehem there and be registered. Uh, One of the reasons, I think, up to this point is God had been leading in a particular way, and I wonder if they wasn't waiting on God to lead them again the same way he led them in the past. Now, you say, well, what does all that mean? I'll just tell you this. Here's the bottom line. Just because God did a miracle in the past did not obligate him to do one in the future. Just because God blessed this one does not mean that you can claim that blessing because God did this, so I guarantee you I'm claiming that. No, 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 you better get in with God yourself because we're all individuals with God. So just because he put a star out there to lead the, it doesn't mean he has to put a star to lead you. What I'm saying is don't go out tonight and say, whoo, there's that bright star, I'm gonna follow it. You're liable to end up somewhere you don't need to be. God leads us in a particular way. Sometimes he wants to do it again, sometimes he doesn't. Hmm. Maybe or maybe not, they were aware of the prophecy of Micah. We're not sure. Generally speaking, there's two concepts on the will of God. One concept is that you're following the road and you're in God's will, and the road comes to a fork. And you take one fork or the other fork and You find out when you take that fork that you're out of the will of God. You're just blown up. No way back. Now, the other concept is the will of God is like a flowing stream. And you can step out of that stream and get out of that stream. But if you repent and get back with God, you can step back in that stream. And you can restore the fellowship and the intimacy that you have with the Holy God. That, that, That means God gives you another chance. That's what he's saying here. Uh, Our life sometimes has a time when we don't know what God's doing. It's been that way around here a couple of months here. Man, you you wonder, God, what are you doing? But he knows what he's doing. And sometimes he uses us in indirect ways. I believe that if we get out of the will of God, you're a child of God, I, I, I think God gives you three major things. I think number one, he kind of just reveals it to you through maybe somebody else. You're wrong. This is wrong. You're going down the wrong road. If that don't help, I think he'll get a hold of you and he'll shake you real good. Your mama ever shake you like that? I remember that principal had that little boy come out of class. He was a rough little boy. and That principal shook him like that. And he said, son, I think the devil's got a hold of you. And he said, I do too. <laughs> God can shake you. But I'll tell you, if you still won't listen to God, he can't put you flat on your back where all you do is look up at him all day long and all night long. You say, well, that's not right for God to do that. No, no, God loves you enough to try to keep you on the right path. He chastens his children. We look at chastening and think, well, we failed. No, it's not necessary. We fail if we don't repent and get back where God wants us to be. The third thing here, quickly, about God leading us 
is that God will provide those times when after we've done everything we can and we still don't have things together. I referred this morning to Brother Aaron, these programs, I've, I've gone through these things, they're nerve-wracking. I'm telling you, he's going to need a couple of weeks off with some heavy Xanax, if y'all got any, uh, after this thing's over with. It may already be taking them now before it's over with, I don't know. Uh, you, you work and you work and you work and you get up to do that thing on the, on the uh, 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 sample program there. You're going to have the dress rehearsal. And you leave there saying, there's no way in the world. There is no way in the world. And yet, bang, God brings it together. It touches folks' lives. People are saved. Why? Because when we've done everything we can do, God comes through. God comes through. Joseph is heading down to his home in Bethlehem, five miles south of Jerusalem. There's some symbolism about Bethlehem, too, since I was just studying and reminding myself. The first time Bethlehem's mentioned, it was a burial place. Jacob's wife, Rachel, is buried at Bethlehem. The second time it's mentioned, it's regard to a romance. Boaz and Ruth were married in Bethlehem. The third time it's mentioned, it's the birthplace and childhood home of David, King David. That's why it's called the City of David there. Three major events, death, weddings, and births. All three of them happen. So Joseph comes back to his home, and he don't have it all together. He don't know what's going to happen. He, I, I'm, I assume that he doesn't have any family, because even as dysfunctional family as mine is, if I had some brothers in Bethlehem, I'd go knock on the door and say, we're going to spend a couple of nights with you. There ain't nowhere else in town. But he doesn't do that. He don't have it all together. He, he don't have a room to stay in. There's no advanced re uh, reservations or anything. And yet God puts it all together. You say, yeah, but preacher, why would God let his own son be born in a cave in a cattle barn? Why? Well, you, you remember that God's always in control? Let me ask you something. Say that old innkeeper did uh, say, oh, well, if you're, going, if you're carrying the child of God, you come in. We'll throw the people out of the presidential suite. We're going to put you in the presidential suite. Wouldn't that have been nice? No. Because, you see, the first folk that come to worship him were the shepherds. The lowest people in the world. Stinking... When you see the program, son, that's real. They stunk. All of them. They, you know, they didn't look at each other back then because they all stunk. Do you think they would have let three stinking shepherds into an inn, into the presidential suite? No. They said, no, you ain't coming in here. So Jesus, whew, oh my goodness, I wish somebody would help me preach. <laughs> Jesus God works that thing out where the shepherds can go worship Jesus. In other words, if Jesus is born and you can't get to him, what good is he? He, he comes to you. He was born in a stable so everybody could get through to him. You don't have to have money to be saved this morning. You don't have to have education to be saved this morning. All you need is a 
moving of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, God does the rest of it. He'll do the rest of it. <laughs> man, man, man. Let me give you this last thing. Chuck Colson, one of my heroes, of course, he was in the Nixon administration and was found guilty and spent time in prison and, and all, but he, he got saved. And I want to tell you, this, this is what he said. He said, the thing in my life that is my greatest setback, going to prison, has proved to be what God has used the most. Isn't that something? The thing that everybody said, well, he's through. Man, he's no good. He, God's used that man all over this country and all over this world. The fourth great truth rising out of here, and I'm through is that Christ has been sent by God into our world in order to bring us into his world. Never forget that. We, we couldn't get there. We'd be like the shepherds trying to go up to the presidential suite. They say, you ain't coming in here. Mm, you're not holy. You're not clean. No, there's no way you're coming in here. But because God's the Father sent the second son of the Trinity, to hear, he said, you go into their world and you make a way for them to come into our world. And that's what the cross is all about. But there'd be no cross if there was no, no birth. Christmas is a time that we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, mm. a lot of, these are uncertain times. A lot of people talking about nuclear holocaust and all this stuff. <laughs> I, I was reminded this last week in, in elementary school how we used to practice for the atomic bomb, put our head under the desk like that was going to really help something there. Uh, you know, uh, but I, I want to tell you, there's a lot more chance of nuclear war happening today than at any other time in history. Because we don't even know how many crackpots have nuclear weapons. Our government don't know. They may tell you they know, but I think we've been surprised before. It's going to end in fire. It's going to end with a bang, I can tell you that. We just don't know when. I don't think there's been a time in my life that I've been more keenly aware that it could be any minute it could be before we leave here today I mean that, I, I believe that I've always had a fear of, of, of uh, dying I'm like the old boy that said I you know I'm not afraid of dying I just don't want to be there when it happens <laughs> uh, but I remember when I went in for heart surgery 13 years ago and I, I you know I I mean, I, there's no reason why I ought to be afraid of dying. My soul, I saved when I was eight years old. I went into ministry at 18. You know, I, I've, I've got a track record. I know God does what he's going to do. I know to be absent in his body is to be present with the Lord. I know all those things. But it wasn't until that day that, you know, I was concerned about a lot of things. My wife's not real good with bookkeeping. And... Uh, <laughs> I said, well, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. She's, uh, that's a, would you get the truth? Yeah. 
She's good at writing the checks. She's not good at keeping up with them. <laughs> no, that's wrong, too. I had a lot of things on my mind. But you know, God put a piece there and said, look, it is what it is. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. Good things happen to bad people. And we wonder, Lord, how in the world does this happen? Bad things happen to good people. And the reason that happens is don't be, a, listen, don't be worried about why that happens. That happens because of the first sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden. And this earth is under a curse. But one day when Jesus comes back, we're going to be taken out of here. The earth is going to experience tribulation seven years, and then there's going to be a thousand-year reign, and then we're, this whole place is going. It's going to be gone. <laughs> and he sent Jesus down here to make sure you had a way to go where he is. Now, it's your choice. I know people... People say, well, I don't think it's our choice. God has ordained already those who are going to heaven, those who are going to hell. I think that's a... Mm. Somebody said the word. I don't want to put it over here. <laughs> there have been choices all throughout the word of God. Joshua said, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Oh, I thought God ordained all that. No, you choose yourself who you're going to serve. Jesus said, look out among you and find seven deacons there of a good report and full of the Spirit of God. You choose. And you've got a choice this morning. Now, I want to tell you, the simple thing is this. We ain't got no angels visiting us. If you want to see an angel, the closest thing to it, I, God help us. We'll be in here at 7 o'clock. That's... <laughs> That's all I can offer you. You don't have no bright, shining light. You just got a pastor. And I've done everything I could do to convince you that you ought to be saved today. But it's your choice. It's your choice. Maybe today you're saved and you already know you're saved, but the real truth is you're not as on fire for God as you were five years ago. I'd encourage you today in these last days. I'd I, I step it up a notch. You say, well, how would I do that? Well, I think you could go back in the Old Testament and take that as an example. When the guy working lost the axe head and the prophet looked at him and said, where'd you lose it at? Let's go back to where you lost it because that's where you're going to find it. If you left Jesus because of a bad relationship or something bad and you've got it still in go back and clear that up and get back in the stream and let the Holy Spirit use you maybe you need a church home this morning this is a wonderful place it's a wonderful place I told him over at Mason Creek uh, driving over there this morning I was thinking we need to build a new auditorium over there a new worship center and I was trying to figure out where it would go and God said well you've got 10 acres there put that thing toward I-20 and, man, we may build a 3,000-seat auditorium over there. I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. I, I don't think we're going to be around long enough, but I'm going to tell you what, I'm not going to quit shoveling dirt and not going to quit working because I think the Lord's coming. I'm going to step it up more than I've ever stepped it up in my life. <laughs> what's God telling you to do this morning?
Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have the freedom. You give us that freedom to choose you. Lord, you've made everything perfect for us. You have paid the price. Not a thing in this earth that we have to do to go to heaven except repent and believe in you. I pray this morning for souls to be saved. Lord, I believe in prayer. And I ask you, Lord, speak to the hearts of men, women, and children, and young people today. Lord, that they would trust in you and be saved before it's too late. Lord, we pray you'd have your way with every person in this auditorium. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're here at the front to meet you. These altars are open. Come on right now. Tell me the story, story of Jesus. Jesus. Right on my heart, every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Anybody? Tell how the angels in chorus say. Sweet. 